Hi, I'm Kevin Watt, and welcome to a special edition of FitSpeak on Mental Toughness. Over the past few episodes of FitSpeak, co-host Zach Neufeld has been exploring ways to improve your race day performances through different aspects of mental toughness. FitSpeak 35 features Zach's Between the Ears segment on self-belief and inner arrogance. It also features an interview with one of the top professional triathletes today, Penticton's Jeff Simons. In our conversation with Simons, we'll find out about his upcoming races and how he uses his own brand of mental toughness called Getting Ugly to have amazing and memorable race day performances. I'm Zach Neufeld, and this is Between the Ears. Jones, Hanton, and Connaughton published a study in The Sports Psychologist called A Framework of Mental Toughness in the World's Best Performers. They investigated the definition of mental toughness and its dimensions. The researchers sampled athletes who made their ultimate sports career achievements, and this included eight Olympic and world champions, three coaches, and four sports psychologists. After conducting research, they formulated this definition of mental toughness. Mental toughness is having the natural or developed psychological edge that enables you to generally cope better than your opponents with the many demands that sports places on a performer. And, while being more consistent and better than your opponents in remaining determined, focused, confident, and in control under pressure. The first attribute of mental toughness, according to them, is called belief. In the dimension of your attitude and mindset, belief is the total awareness of how you got where you are now. It gives you an unshakable self-belief. That unshakable belief comes from total awareness of how you got to your level of performance. A participant in the study said, it takes a long time for real belief in yourself to build. The researchers found that the more you demonstrate your abilities by overcoming challenges and reaching targets, the higher your self-belief gets. The statement, I know I can achieve it, is not based on hoping or wishing, but on a solid foundation of self-belief, where you know as a result of what you have already done. The next part of belief in mental toughness is an inner arrogance. It's when you believe you can do anything you set your mind to. It's that part of you that makes you stand out, according to participants in the study. It's never giving up and knowing that if I persevere, I am going to be able to do it. Another part of this attribute is believing that your desire or hunger will ultimately lead you to fulfill your potential. Isn't that what we all want to hear? It's about having the belief that you can actually be that good, as good as you're imagining. In competition, the researchers found two other kinds of belief in mental toughness. The first one is total commitment to your performance goal until every possible opportunity of success has passed. This is total commitment to achieving your goal while there's a chance of success until every possibility of success has passed. One athlete said it's about giving all you have even if you're eight people behind. And it reminds me of how Marinda Carfrey overcame a 14 and a half minute deficit in the 2014 Ironman Kona Marathon. It was a thing to behold. She just kept gaining and gaining and gaining. The second part of competition belief is not being phased by making mistakes and then coming back from them. 
One participant said, performers cannot compete to win the Olympics with half-hearted efforts. When mistakes take place, they regain composure quickly. The ideal mentally tough performer can put a mistake to one side and carry on performing regardless. They have a resilience, a toughness. They're not phased by their mistakes. There are many more attributes of mental toughness we'll cover later. Overall, mental toughness is a natural developed psychological edge that enables you to cope better than your opponents with many demands. Research involving coaches, sports psychologists, world champions, and Olympians revealed that belief is an attribute of mental toughness. And some of the ways to be mentally tough are to know how we got as good as we are, to actually believe in what we know we're capable of, and to try 100% with all our soul until every possibility of success is passed. In mental toughness research, we found that belief is not wishful thinking. It's an optimistic, determined, and committed attitude that crushes through our doubts and pushes on to the very end. Thanks for listening. I'm Zach Neufeld, taking you between the ears. And on the line from sunny Penticton this wonderful May afternoon, professional triathlete, newly crowned Cherry Blossom Triathlon Champion, Jeff Simons. Jeff, welcome to FitSpeak. Ah, thanks for having me on. And thanks for taking, uh, taking the time for us today. It looks like you had just finished up a training session not that long ago. Uh, yeah, I just got stuck in a quick, quick run. Me and uh, my girlfriend's here. Uh, we both came up for the Bare Bones Duathlon this weekend. So um, just a little, uh, I guess, a little jog on the KVR to make sure everything's clicking. I was going to ask you about your health, but already it's uh, it's looking pretty good. Uh, I was looking at some of your race results from earlier already this year. First of all, uh, congratulations, just under an hour and 10 minutes at the Pacific Half. Thanks, yeah, that was a good one. Uh, good way to start off the season. Yeah, you never know where you're going to get at that race with conditions either, right? So, um, you know, we had a beautiful day, and uh, I, I wanted to run under 110, and... But I also want to just have fun and get out there and race and, and not overthink it. And then, um, you know, I didn't get any splits. And then you come around that corner and then you see, you know, 109.55. And it was just, it was kind of cool. So Mission accomplished. And that was back in February. Back in February, yeah. Was that a personal best for you for the half half marathon distance? Uh, no, I went 107.41 there a while ago. Um, but in different circumstances, I mean, this was, uh, you know, just kind of in the middle of training and, you know, one easy day to freshen up and good to go. And, and, uh, when I went 107, it was like, you know, I was, I was, I was going for that one. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then after that, I, I don't think I ran for, for three months. I had a bit of an injury. Oh, okay. So you that I raced through. And so, uh-huh. uh, so yeah, I'm much happier with the way this one played out, even if it was a bit slower. Tell us about last season. Highlights, some um, some of the things you achieved or planned to ch- uh, plan to achieve rather, and never quite hit it. I guess we'll start with the good. I mean, the good was um, that I had a pretty brutal season and and struggled through um, just some little nagging things. But uh, but the season came around and I was able to finish it off with eighth at the IQ Long Course World Champs. Back on your home course in Penticton. On the home course, and that was not that was not a very good lead up leading into that, just just mentally. But you know, you you get out there and, and give what you can, and 
and I was just glad the way that played out. And then I guess that I won the uh, Cultus Lake, just a really fun Olympic distance. Yeah, I remember that day. <laughs> Chilliwack, and then, yes. and then got a fifth at the uh, at Ironman Arizona. So um, I I thought I'd do have a better race in Arizona, but you know that's racing, right? So yeah, it depends on the day, depends how your body is, depends who shows up, right? Yeah, but you kind of. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of the sport. It's when you. Uh, kind of go to that limit you know you kind of find out um i guess you find out how bad you can feel and still get through the last nine miles and um yeah it's pretty cool and tell us uh last weekend uh sprint distance triathlon out in Kelowna, which you won um now was that just to make up for skipping out uh we were having a chat with uh one of the other folks from Fitspeak who we interviewed a little while back who did not too badly at Wildflower, Nathan Killam, and him and I were kind of smack talking with you. You never showed up at UBC. What was with that? Uh, yeah, I think, well, first, I mean, not too bad. I mean, he came third. He had an awesome race. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy for him. Um, yeah, no, UBC was, uh, was the duathlon I was supposed to do, and um, I had everything ready, and I was kind of feeling a little bit you know, a little bit like I may or may not be sick, and when I woke up race morning, I was I was toast. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and my girlfriend went and did it. Uh, I had to stay home, and I basically, I don't know, I barely left the apartment for four days. I was just hit with the flu, and um, yeah, so I really wanted to be there, yeah. but yeah, like I was, there's no way I would have been dragging around myself <laughs> the course that day. So, and uh, and that's kind of been the story of the last this year for me has been, uh, you know, first half was good and it was kind of had some good sessions after that. Um, but then just got quite sick and, uh, and then you're, you're just lingering. I think it was the flu. Um, you know, it's just, it's just something that stuck with me for a while. So I had to, you know, kind of reset, reframe, um, the races and got back into it and things have been good. I mean, April was awesome. So and if it's any consolation, Nathan didn't do the race either. He was complaining of some nagging injury or something. So I think Nick took it, and uh, yeah, he's an up-and-comer for all of us to look at. So going back to your win from last weekend in Kelowna, um, pretty good day out there for you, but you were also challenged by a new up-and-comer. Tell us about your day. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the guys from Kelowna, that balance point group, they... Uh... You know they came to play, and I knew when I showed up, I knew, and I saw, and I heard they were gonna be there. Um, I knew they'd be gunning for me, but I'd be like, I wasn't the Rocky, I was the Apollo Creed. Right? <laughs> yes, yes, you were. Okay, you gotta, you gotta come out swinging. And then I <laughs> to them before the race, so I was like, man, you guys are the future, but I just hope the future isn't today. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so I knew they'd have a bit of a gap out of the water, and um, I thought I would catch them on the bike, and you know I rode hard and I caught. Uh, a couple of guys, but a uh, young guy from Kelowna, Brock Paul. He, uh, I didn't catch him, and like I got out on the run, and and, uh, and I was kind of like, man, like I rode hard, like that was my, that was the card, and so uh, <laughs> I left for the run, and and I could see him right at the road, and we just basically held that gap, and mm. I mean. You know, I would have loved to have caught him, but um, but I made up like the virtual stagger. So he started forty five seconds up, right? And I, like he was still the first across the finish line, but I'd like gone in the faster time. So, yeah. Um. So I may have technically won the race, but uh, he won the day for sure. First so, across. Yeah. You also picked up a little bit of time and transitions, but again, for for some junior racers, uh. Uh, a wonderful start to their season. I mean, coming second to Jeff Simons is a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'd love to say I 
So let's talk about the the rest of your season. Uh, what other races do you have planned for 2018? Uh, well, bare bones tomorrow. So that's, right. That's what I'm thinking about. Uh, then the following weekend, I'm pretty excited to go out, kind of first outdoor race in uh, Westwood Lake, another dynamic event, and uh, I'm excited. Like I said, Coltis is fun. You know, any of Joe Dixon's races are just a ton of fun, so I'm excited for that. And you're packing your neoprene swim hat because uh, if it's any indication, last year was a chilly one. <laughs> uh, I believe it. I mean, it's pretty early to be swimming outside, so yeah, um, yeah I guess I will. But, uh, but also packing uh, my recovery drinks to the FDC because uh, I'm going to do the sprint distance on the North Shore the day after. So, um, so, so a double header. I feel like an Ultraman. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm going to double that up. And then after that, uh, Victoria 70.3, Ironman 7.3. I'm excited about that. Um, I love that run. love the run around Elk Lake. So yeah. That. And then headed back to uh, to Edmonton. Um, Great White Nate North. He's, he's, yeah, he's the defending champ. So, you know, I've got lucky to have five wins out there, and I'd love to... Uh, you know, get back, get another one of them. They have these really cool moose trophies. Mm-hmm. I'd love to get another moose. It's just a great, like, similar dynamic events, I guess. You know, Mike Brown just puts on a great uh, race and a great atmosphere. So about that, and then it starts to get big. And then uh, Ironman Canada, is uh, that's the one that I'm getting the most fire off. The here. return to Whistler. Now, you've done that course a couple of times before, Jeff? Yeah, I've done it once, and it did me once, so... Oh, my um, goodness. Was that the 2015? Yeah, so 2014, I came second to uh, uh, Marino Van Honecker, and I was... Uh, when he set, like, the all-time fastest bike, like, he was phenomenal on the bike that day. Yeah, he was the fastest on the bike, and at the time, he had the Ironman world record. Right, yes. And uh, so he crushed me on the bike, and I gained back um, quite a bit of it on the run. And uh, that's when I ran a 240 out there. And, uh, and I thought the next year I'd, I'd won in uh, Ironman Melbourne early in the Asia Pacific chance earlier in the year. And I came in with uh, maybe a lot of uh, expectations and a lot of like a little bit of confidence, but also a lot of pressure that I was going to not only come in and, and win Whistler, but I was going to dominate. And uh, that's not a very good way to go into an Ironman. And, um, the weatherman had something to say about that day. Yeah, the weather hit, and I was not prepared. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be, you know, looking back on it, I was, uh, the mistake I made is that I tried to go for every little second. Like, I was like, no, I don't want to wear a jacket, because it's going to slow me down aerodynamically. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and all these little things like that. And I tried to, like, uh, I got so focused in on the little seconds that I felt like I needed everything to go right to live up to the pressure and expectations mm-hmm. that I lost track of the big picture. And, yeah. um, you know, when I'm riding up Callahan and I'm, I'm frozen and I'm shaking and... Uh, you were you know, probably 3% body fat or something like that, so there wasn't a lot of uh, insulation to keep you warm. It was like 3 degrees on the when you were climbing up there and it got uglier, getting ugly all day long. Oh, it was just hammering down rain, and uh, some of the older, more experienced guys, I remember uh, Chris McDonald, he came by, and he, he like, looked at me, and, and I could just tell, it was like, yeah, mm. yeah, he's got a jacket, veteran move, and, uh, <laughs> so, so I'm kind of hoping that happens this year, so I can, 
I can repay that uh, favor to some of the younger guys now. And it's, uh, well, it's not a brand new course, but they've taken out the Pemberton section, of course. So it's going to, it sounds like from uh, Nathan Killam's report, it's going to favor the climbers. Are you one of those guys? I mean, the beauty of racing anything is, uh, or not the beauty of racing, but one of the keys to racing is that you got to find the positives in anything. And so um, no matter how I look at that, I mean, there's just, there's so many ways that this new course could favor me, I think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you could say it's going to favor the climbers. It also favors someone that maybe like me has a short attention span. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, because in this one, you're always going to be changing. It's going to be, you're not just locked in the arrow bars and grinding, right? Like it's going to be, it's going to be ups and downs. It's going to, you're going to be engaged. Um, you know, there's going to be people to, you're going to see people with the three laps. Yeah, absolutely. Be, uh, you'll be catching them. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Nathan says it favors him, but mm. I think it favors me too. And uh, maybe even more so. I mean, uh, I definitely am. It's going to be a good race for me. Absolutely. So after Ironman Canada, any more plans or what's yeah, it? Well, what's, see, here's the thing. Well, here's the thing. Ironman, you got to think one at a time. Mm. What I learned from last year. Like, yeah. It's motivation for doing an Ironman and your thought train is like, I'm doing this to get Kona qualifying points. Or yes. doing this for, for any reason other than just doing the Ironman and doing it hard is not a good experience. Mm. you got to take them one at a time. And yeah. Just, like, and, and Ironmans are epic. I mean, the, you know, there might be another one down the road, but like, yeah, you focus on it once and you do all you can. Mm -hmm. But, well, here's the but, okay. we go to Karnas. So, and also, there's other races, and what I want to do is, uh, I'd love to do Ironman Mont-Tremblant. I don't know if my accent is correct, I'm trying to, trying to learn French. Right? That will get you far in Quebec. <laughs> yeah, je voudrais prendre le français. I think that's how I'd like to learn French. <laughs> um, anyways. So but that's three weeks after uh, Ironman Canada. And for us professionals, we have to sign up three weeks before. So I have to sign up, unless I, I have to sign up before the race because the only day I have is on race day. And if you ask me right after I finish an Ironman, do you want to do another one? I'm like, no, nah, man. Like, I'm going to run. No way. <laughs> Not if <laughs> you do it right. You wake up and you're pumped, right? Yeah. Um, so I do have to commit to that. And then, um, and I'm excited about it. So, um, I'm all in for Whistler, but Mont-Tremblant, and then, you know, if I get the Kona spot, we'll see if there's something left in the tank and, and see where my head's at, but um, but that's the, kind of the fun summer. You know, I would like to go back to Kona. I got unfinished business there. Yeah, which we're going to get to a little bit uh, later on in the interview. Um, speaking of your season, what sponsors do you have on board for 2018, Jeff? Uh, yeah, it's been good. Um, I mean, ASICS has always been good to me, good relationship there. Um, FGC has been great. Uh, Shimano, I've, I've been lucky to be with Shimano for for eight years, and it's, um, it's kind of that dream come true as a kid where you get to just pick out the best bike stuff possible and they send it to you. So, um, so I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, Castelli makes great stuff, uh, great clothing, and um, kind of gets me out even on the crappy days, feeling good. Uh, riders I wear, they've been really good as well. Um, it's kind of cool to work with the North End Company. And Velofix, same thing. It's cool to work with uh, the guys who make The locals, too. right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've kind of met Chris Jumet, the CEO, before, uh, before this idea, crazy idea he had <laughs> to make this company. And uh, we were training for Ironman, and it, it's kind of cool to see... Um, how it's grown and to uh, you know to be a small part of that 
is pretty cool as well. So, and then working with uh, my coach Jasper B seventy eight has been great. And then also we're gonna kind of feel like doing shout outs. Gotta give a shout out to uh, well first shout out to FTC. Uh, you know, Glenda and Greg. <laughs> With us, so they're uh, you know they've been a great sponsor to keep uh, you know to keep me um, fueled well, recovered well, and uh, and just my taste buds satisfied. So, uh, but also shout out to Soul Girls, which is my girlfriend's uh, business, and it just uh, it's based it's uh, running programs for girls. Started off uh, tween age girls, eight to twelve, but she's moved into some little souls. Uh, so it starts at five to six. Five to twelve is basically the range, and. And it's not just about running, but it's more just using running as a tool to empower girls and uh, to kind of teach them about uh, mental health and uh, or just teach them about loving themselves, basically. Really? When you think mental health, it gets almost too deep, but like they do get into that kind of stuff, but it's more just about loving themselves. And mm-hmm. she even got me coaching a group. We call it the Soul Boys, it's my group. Uh, Ten uh, kids in grades five to – or kindergarten to grade fives. And so – and I have another guy, Justin Kent, who's, uh, uh, I think he just ran a 13, 50, or 8, or 14-minute 5K, so he's a really good runner. So, oh, my um, goodness. <laughs> we need some good running coaches, and then yeah. we struggled through the, uh, we struggled through the talking about feelings and emotions. <laughs> and I've watched The Notebook, and <laughs> so I don't know a few things. Getting back to you um, as an athlete, um, safe to say you're a veteran now. You've been around the block a few times. But as an athlete, and you're looking at your competition, and you're looking at yourself, do you have any specific areas where you're going to, uh, or at least you're planning on improving this year? Any aspects of the swim, bike, run, or is there something else that you're focused on to, to improve on to give you a bit of an edge for, for the 2018 season? Uh, riding's always been, uh, lately been my focus. Yeah. Uh, so just the swim and the runner there, and then just making sure. Um, I think you've just seen at the pro level, um, at every level, just the level of riding has just uh, has just gone up. And so, I mean, luckily, riding fun to go out and ride, right? So, yeah. Uh, so it's a good it's a good weakness to work on. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm that's what I'm working on. And um, you know, there's lots of the beauty of riding and about the sports. There's just uh, just plenty of different ways to uh, uh, make that happen i guess you know you can put on more power work on your aerodynamics you know work on your you know your technical abilities your pacing there's just so many ways to kind of come at it um so that's one big focus uh the other big focus i guess lately has just been staying healthy Mm -hmm. i think uh that's the key that's the key to everything in travel consistency and part of being consistent is being able to have the health in order to do those workouts week in week out month in month out right yeah, and if your immune system, as I'm finding, is run down, then uh, you know, then you get sick, and you really have to take a step back. So I've kind of uh, tweaked a few things to make sure that uh, I'm staying, you know, a little more healthy. And on top of that, so mm-hmm. um, yeah, and also, I mean, you know, you're always trying to stay motivated, right? It's one thing that uh, maybe I've taken for granted in the past that you, uh, you know, that you're always like you're always going to have that mindset, but. Um, you know, sometimes you do have to kind of come back and do things that, you know, like like working with the kids groups, like, um, you know, talking to age groupers or helping other people that just kind of remind you of, like, the purity of the sport and the reasons why you do it as opposed to just, like, the as easy as a professional to get caught up in, like, the results or the <laughs> prize money or the sponsorships or, or all this stuff that, you know, you kind of, like, lose track that it's, like, 
all that stuff is good because it enables you to have these amazing moments as mm. opposed to having the amazing moments and enables you to have those things. So. And in order to have those moments, you got to put in the work, just like the age groupers, just like the up-and-comers. Uh, yeah. So, um, and that's, that's the cool thing about our sport is that, like, you never, you can never like rest on your laurels or like, and you know, it's like when I'm racing those guys, you know, the young guys in Kelowna, right? And uh-huh. you, kind of, you kind of think like, in some ways you're like, oh, I, I know all this or like, you've been around, like, you almost feel like, oh, I should beat them, but yeah. it that way, right? It, like, it's, it's super about, humbling. It can be so humbling, yes. It's all about how hard you can work and I mean, I guess the beauty is you get older, you can kind of, you know, really... Lewis alluded to it, you know, the more years you have in the sport, it's like you just get that different level of understanding, that different level of pain, right? So um, so hopefully I'm getting tougher as I'm getting older, too. If, if it's possible. Now, one of the things, here's a beautiful segue, one of the things you're known for is your whole movement uh, called getting ugly. So that kind of gets us to our next point about mental toughness. Now, our Fitzby co-host, Zach Neufeld, has been doing a lot of research in the area, and he's found an article from the Journal of Sports Psychology called A Framework of Mental Toughness in the World's Best Performers. A lot of information in the piece, but I just wanted to focus maybe on a couple of them with you, Jeff. Uh, Maybe you can comment on them, or better still, maybe offer us some examples from, from your own life and experiences and training. So first of all, in the article, it says gives us a definition of mental toughness and they say it's the natural or developed psychological edge that enables an athlete to cope better than their competitors especially under pressure so would you have anything to add on that no that sounds uh like mental toughness is not just what you see on race day i mean people love those dramatic examples but Mm. uh it happens every day right like uh you know, especially if you're chasing big goals, that the pressure kind of hangs on you every day. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good that's a good thing. And like you said, it can be national, it can be learned, and I think uh, it can kind of come and go, right? Sometimes you need to reconnect with it. Mm-hmm. So, one of the components they're writing about is uh, the power of belief. So, they say it's this unshakable awareness of knowing how you got to where you are right now. So, for yourself, of course, you know, winning that triathlon and being a professional triathlete and having that lifestyle. And they say the more that you overcome challenges in previous races, training sessions, and in life itself, uh, the stronger your self-belief gets. So can you tell us about any training sessions that you've done or any, you know, life experiences that you've been able to draw upon that have really increased your self-belief? Yeah, I, I guess I've had a few over the, the years. Um, I think the biggest one for my belief was uh, um, when I got to the sport. It was uh, it was after university, and I was I was all in on it, and um, and it had some good results. And I kind of like I believed in myself that I could like compete at that level. But then some, maybe some, and then like my supporters did too, I guess. But um, but sometimes you start to question like where is that belief coming from? Like like I know I believe in myself, but is it like is it Am I just biased? Is this like just me pushing off like a real job or, mm, okay. or what? And then so when I was able to come uh, third of the world champs, it was a big um, turning point for me where it was like, you know, you, and it doesn't have to be third of the world champs, but it's just like just having that race where it's like undeniably like I belong. Yeah. No, no question about it. So that was a big moment for me. The next one was was when I raced Challenge Penticton and um 
I'm going to get into this. I've told the story many, many times, but uh, but for those who haven't heard it, uh, basically Challenge Penticton is the first year of uh, Challenge in North America, and Ironman had gone this Challenge race, which is now gone. But at the time it came in, it was a big deal, and uh, and Chris McCormick, the former world champ, uh, Maca was there. We weren't allowed to say Maca in my house though because. Uh, we wanted to seem just like a guy, right? Uh-huh. Like the same because he seems like a legend, unbeatable. So <laughs> just Chris. Um, so, anyways, he came and uh, and he came to the race. And, and maybe going back to your point um, about like the belief in yourself is leading up to that race. Uh, training had been good. It just been like I'd had these good sessions. I'd been on the course a lot, and it was just like. Even it wasn't like one or two good sessions. It was just like, you know, it was just a few months of just like solid work. Um, there were some bad days, you know, some sick patches, some bad races. But uh, but for the most part, it was just there was this big chain of consistency. And I just felt good going into the race where you're like, okay, I feel good. And, and I read this uh, blog post from a guy, Chris Bag, a competitor I raced against, a good guy. And he related to like a poker game and mm. like... You know, it, it's like the part of it is like your fitness and what you bring in is like the cards in your hand, and then, um, and then, but you still have to kind of play them. And uh, if you play a, like if sometimes if you overbet, like if you only have a two of a kind, but you play it like a full house, you're uh-huh. gonna get turned. But, uh-huh. uh, um, but anyway, so I came in and I felt like I had uh, a four of a kind. Okay. And, and it was kind of like I was going to play it like a four of a kind. And it was like, if any of you guys have like a royal flush, I'm okay with that. Mm. And uh, and I think that set me up to be very mentally, made mentally tough on the day because it was kind of looking within myself and, and had that confidence and also just kind of rid myself of like any, somewhat of the pressure to beat those guys. Having said that, if it came down to a dogfight like in the last 5K, I would have been definitely trying to beat them. But mm. anyway, so the race happened. It went. I settled into my own pace. Uh, I had this big lead, and I was coming down this, the last hill on Yellow Lake. Um, it's about 170 or 100, going to do the math backwards, 155K into the bike. Um, and I just stood up to see if my legs were still feeling good. I had like a nine minute lead. Uh-huh. I thing, and, and I just lost control of the bike. It started to speed wobble, and I spun out. And oh. the guard told me I was going 60.6k an hour uh, when I look back on the file. Um, when I hit the deck, you know, how bad it would be if it would be bad. Um, or I didn't know anything. I just knew, okay, I'm going really fast. This is going to be really bad. And so I, I, the bike slid out. I hit the deck. I mean, my hand was... All the fingernails were all shredded. Oh, my goodness. Uh, blood all over. Like, my shoulder was all ripped up. Both hips were banged up and ripped up. And, and that took, like, one hip ended up taking about six months to fully recover. Oh, wow. And uh, the impact and the road rash, I guess, was pretty bad. My back had some. My knee was all torn up. Um, yeah, anyway, so I was in really rough shape. And uh, I got the bike, um, went and looked at at the bike, I kind of stood up, and I was like, oh, my race is over. I went to the bike to kind of find that, like, objective uh, point of, like, okay, the bike is toast. I guess I'm toast. But I looked at the bike, and, and since it had spun out on its side, like, there wasn't, like, cracked in half or nothing. So, so the frame was still viable to ride. It looked viable to ride. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was like, all right. There's just parts of it were sheared, but, yeah, it was viable to ride. So I just 
like, I guess I don't have an excuse not to do this. And it's all downhill from, well, mostly downhill. Yeah, my bike <laughs> cracked a bit, so it just oh. started to go early. Oh. Yeah, but, uh, but I don't worry about that. So <laughs> my arm was all chewed out, so I couldn't really get in the aero bars. And, uh, but I got out there, and the adrenaline kicks in, and you just, uh, just kind of start cranking it, and then you kind of realize, okay, I still have a marathon to go. I better chill out. Mm. Uh, so we got back into... Uh, Got back into town and um, I'm smiling and people are like, oh, you look like you're just so happy out there. It's like, no, I'm just so happy to get off that freaking bike. And anyway, so I get in transition. This is where the mental toughness kind of comes back uh-huh. into play is that like I was digging stuff out of my transition bag to put it on and, and all these people had heard it had this bad crash and they could see it. So they're swarming and the medical people are like, hey, Jeff, come on in. We'll get you checked out at the med tent and make sure you're okay and then we'll send you out. But, like, I knew at that point, like, if I went to the med tent, I was never leaving there. Like, uh-huh. I just had to get out. And, and I needed the conviction that I was going to get it done, and no matter what. And um, and I apologized to them afterwards, but I dropped an F-bomb. Like, okay. Said, no, I'm going to go beat Heat, the wind this Heat race. of the battle. Like, and it wasn't so much about me telling them that. It was just me telling myself that. Like, no, you're going to get this done. And so I just, uh, so you go out there, and it's like, Step after step after step, you just you just do it right. So in in all this uh, confusion and pain and agony, um, were fellows passing you on the bike, or did you still maintain that lead as you went into T two? I still have the lead. Like when I'm on, you're right on the bike. It felt like I was down forever. Like it felt like I'd lost like five or ten minutes. But you know when I looked at the the Garmin file later, it was um, I'd only lost. Uh, it was only down for about two minutes, and I really only count one minute and fifty-five seconds that I lost because me and my bike slid down the road at a good clip for about five seconds. So forward um, movement. But yeah, so but it felt like forever. And the way the old Penticton courts worked is that you didn't actually like you did a bit of a you came in on the bike on Main Street, you did an out and back along Lakeshore, a little out and back, and then you headed out back on Main Street, and there was this bit of a weird section where or just the way it worked out is uh i didn't see any of the guys uh before i hit the up halfway out and back so they didn't see how bad it was they're getting reports but they didn't see that i was covered in blood and i didn't stop to check my injuries i didn't want to like <laughs> give myself a reason to feel sorry i mean i, I know they felt bad but um and i knew they were bad because like you hear people cheering and going hey looking good intermittent back and forth, right? Two 
47 to to win the race and afterwards people were like oh hey like like what would you have run if you didn't crash and um and i'm not sure i would run faster because i feel like when you're out there racing you're how fast you go is like this you know equation of like how much you're hurting versus how like motivated you are and the conviction you have to overcome that hurt and even though i was like uh uh, hurting way more and that pain was way up there uh-huh. like my conviction to get it done was like also boosted way up so um, and so what I kind of took away from that mm-hmm. kind of where that what I learned from that was just about having that conviction and that that clear um, just for anyone that's out there racing an Ironman or triathlon or doing anything hard it's like just having that clear conviction of what you want to do and and also why you want to do it so um didn't just have that before and, and so you're not questioning it or like kind of going back on it but um why but am i out here suffering in the sun when i could be that guy on the side of the road with a beer at the marina he seems to be so much happier but yeah, yeah there there we are out suffering exactly yeah. you're gonna ask yourself some point in a big race like yeah. why am i doing this mm-hmm. and if you don't have a question for that or if your your answer is in isn't a good one, then it's going to be a long day. And, and I've found that in my racing and ones that have gone bad is when um, when my why am I doing this is like for the wrong reasons. Like when I'm like thinking about why I want to get back on the bike and when I'm why I want to keep doing it, say in that race where I crashed, you know, it was all about, you know, all the people that I'd met and, and, and not professionals, but more the age groupers that, um, you know, had been working jobs and had to work all the training in around that and the sacrifices they've made just to get to that finish line. And it was like that that meant something. And I wanted to get there no matter what, even if everyone passed me and I had to walk the marathon, like I was going to get there. And and that, that's a good conviction to have. It's a pure kind of love of the sport, yeah. love of pushing yourself and limits and all that. Like it's it, that's the kind of the positive stuff you want the bad stuff is when you're out there doing races when you're like i'm only here so i can qualify for kona or i'm only here because i need to do have a good result for a sponsor or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and uh that's the kind of motivation that is just thin at surface level mm-hmm. and can be taken away pretty easily as i've, as I've found so. kind, of, kind of a tough day at the office at a unique profession uh let's take a look at this one here so we talked about the power of belief in addition to that self-belief, um, sounds arrogant, but it's what the researchers have found. Uh, they say those who have mental toughness also have this aspect of inner arrogance. So check this out. It's the knowledge that you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. And the athlete can effectively deal with any setbacks. Okay, we just talked about that. That happen in a competitive situation. And here's the the interesting part. Until every possibility of success has been exhausted. So this kind of reminds me of your issues with the last part of the bike at the Ironman World Championships in Kona a couple of years back. The the infamous pedal incident. So I'm just going to restate this part. The athlete can effectively deal with any setbacks that happen uh, until every possibility of success has been exhausted. So for the folks who haven't heard about the pedal incident in Kona, can you recap that story? It's amazing. It was inspirational for for probably any triathlon person, uh, any athlete who's ever towed a starting line. Yeah, 
and it's got a good story or a good moral to the end of it. Tighten your bolts, I guess. The morals, I guess. But um, yeah, it was my first uh, first and only time I've done Kona. It was 2015, and and I was coming in. I got an automatic spot by winning the Ironman Asia Pacific Championships in Melbourne. So I was um, I was coming in pretty pumped and looking to have a good race. And I've uh, been in Kona for about five weeks training for it, and, and was feeling good and was running well. And um, anyways, I got out there on race day and and uh, made the decision to kind of have a nice. Not nice, I mean, it's still hard, but, like, to, to be sensible on the bike and really have a great run and um, and really try and, like, ride well in that back half. And um, coming, when I hit the turnaround, coming down from Javi, you're, uh, you're coming down pretty quick, and I started feeling my pedal was starting to get uh, a little bit loose with it. Just felt like there was a lot of play, and um, and the pedal was, like, I could tell it was a bit, going a bit squirrely, and I... Put it out of your mind. I mean, when you're out there, um, you don't want to think about the bad. You don't want to feel like all this is going to be for nothing. Uh, but I was having images of, um, I know Heather Wartell had a similar issue where all of a sudden her crank just fell off. And I'm like, whatever. Like, you know, you just put it out of your mind. You can't worry about that. Like, you know, the only thing I can do is if I see a tech support person or if I can get a multi-tool at a aid station, then I can fix it. So, um, but otherwise, I just got to ride this thing until it breaks. And so, no multi-tools at the aid station, no tech support went by, but everything was going well. I'm like, the, the, the crank arm was a bit back and forth, but, you know, I was still putting out good power. I, I was just rolling past some people, and uh, and then all of a sudden, it went from the point where, you know, it was going good until, boom, the pedal, like, stripped halfway, so my pedals were, like, my feet were kind of beside myself, and then I'm pedaling like, like they're, my legs are moving in sync, so which you can't do, right? Yeah. So um, instead of having you know pedals that say like you know three o'clock, six o'clock, they're both at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got off, and and the first thing that went through my mind was a whole lot of f bombs, and that also went through the air of the lava fields. And I'm out on the lava fields where there's you're like on, it's like you're on the moon, right? Like it's a crater, there's no one around. It's, it's hot, and uh, so, yeah, so let off a few F-bombs, and then I thought, like, well, what am I going to do, like, and then I thought about, like, I'm still, like, in a good position, like, there's, like, there's tons of people behind me, like, you know, like, there's people that are doing this race that only have one leg to begin with, so That's I thought, right, I gotta yeah. just get on there and go, right, and, and I was like, there's more, always more to be learned, like, um, I want to know what the lava fields are about, so I just got on there and, and, and started pedaling. With one leg. one leg, okay. Yeah, it's like those horrible one-legged cycling drills that pretty much everyone has to do if they ride the indoor trainer. So, um, some people have said they're now like, there's been teacher been like, oh, this is the Jeff Simons drill, or like, <laughs> I'm like, oh man, like, I'm sorry guys. Yeah, never know when. I've always hated them, but <laughs> but yeah, but it's tough. Like it's tough to get that pedal turning over, especially. You know, there's some hills out there, some wind, and there's one hill where I had to get off and try to run up it uh, in bare feet, but it's so hot out there, my oh. soles my shoes are, like, burning, so I was like, okay, back in the cycling shoes and just kind of clank up it, but, uh-huh. um, but yeah, but eventually, I think it was like, oh, I don't know, I mean, uh, I turned off the Garmin after a while, <laughs> look at it, but, but I have at least 10, 10K of me on this one leg, and um, finally... You know, the lead women went by, and then they stopped and were able to kind of fix it, tighten it, send me on my way, which, um, 
you know, then I'm behind the lead woman, which wasn't the plan of the race, but mm. uh, but you do what you do. So uh, so I did, I kept going and, and got to transition, and it kind of hit me there. I could see, like, the times, you see everybody, and, and, and you're like, this is not where I wanted to be. And I kind of spent a little bit of time feeling sorry for myself, uh, but then was like, you know what, like, just find a new goal to get this, this thing done. And I thought, okay, I'll catch up. There was a guy, Brad Caldwell, that was an Australian legend. I was like, you know, if I run a little bit, he doesn't look like he's having a good day. I catch up to him, and at least I'll have someone to run with for uh-huh. this, this misery of, of the time. And, and as I'm bridging up to him, one of my friends was there, and we joked there was a guy in the Goonies, um, and he, he yelled at me, Goonies never say die. And it was kind of like, kind of got me going. And uh, it's Chris Denberg, the guy's name. And and, uh, and then it was like, okay, yeah. And then I started rolling and reframing. And, and um, it just kind of came about, I'm going to see how hard I can run this thing. And um, who cares where I end up? I just just do it for myself. And, so how, um, from a physical perspective, how did your, uh, your uh peddling leg handle the extra stress of the you know last 15 or 20 kilometers when you did have to just use the one leg what was your running stride like it was a bit tight uh like it was like the hip flexor was a bit tight and i could feel it a little bit more in that that right leg but um i don't know everything hurts at that point yeah (laughs) and uh and yeah i don't know it was um there was a little bit i did notice it but, uh, but when you're running in, in Kona, like, the heat is what's got all your attention. So, um, you know, I'm feeling sorry for myself, maybe have my attention. But then once you get into the start rolling a bit, it's everything, all your mental energy is going towards how can I keep myself cool as possible? And that kind of determines your speed. So um, just kind of got lost in that. And I kind of lost my nutrition plan when I was uh, feeling sorry for myself, but... I knew I had gels, and I got to a point where I was supposed to have three left, or three left, and I only had two left, and it just went out the window. I just grabbed whatever the heck I could, which is definitely not not the plan. Or ideal, but uh, you just kind of kind of do what you can to get through the day. And you not only got through the run, you had one of the faster pro run splits of that day. Uh, yeah, I ended up having third third fastest. Split. Yeah. I missed out on the fastest split, but I think it was like 18 seconds or 18 something. 18 seconds. Um, yeah, so I mean, maybe I shouldn't have felt sorry for myself for walking for myself at the start, but um, but also uh, it's probably that nutrition. I mean, I did I had hit the bathroom and on the Polani Hill, which is like <laughs> 2K from the finish, but like there there's no way of avoiding yeah. it. And, uh, you know, if I'd been winning the race, I would have just gone, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, you lose a lot of your dignity. <laughs> if you come in like that, for, yeah. I, think I, I think it was 23rd, which, um, which I'm still stoked about. And you your first, first, I mean... The world is pretty awesome, right? So, yeah, I mean, they, you know, the people you talk to, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Bob Babbitt, they say, you know, in order to win this race, with the exception of certain Belgian people, you know, you have to put in the time, you have to, you know, show the course respect. And so for your first time to do that, I think you got more than your fair share of, in quotes, bad luck or whatever the case may be. And paying your dues so when you do return there whether it's in 2018 2019 or or whenever that may happen to be i think you've certainly paid your dues to uh the the queen of the lava fields there yeah and and at the end of the day i mean the sport is bigger than just winning and losing i mean you know the real beauty is this about uh you know kind of finding that toughness and and having those moments 
that kind of break you down and having to, you know, find something within you to endure. And, um, so it's kind of like, you know, those moments are probably more important and definitely more personally rewarding than, you know, than a day where everything went well and you won. So, and the beauty is, is that everybody has them. doesn't matter if you're, you know, first place, doesn't matter, you know, if you're last place, like you're going to have those ups and down moments and, and over an Ironman or I'm sure over an Ultraman or the yeah. longer you get, you're just like, you're like, the chances of you having one of those is like an Iron Man is pretty much guaranteed. Something's yes, gonna go something's going to go wrong. Something, and you're going to have to find something, and that's that's kind of why we sign up, right? Yeah, the, the adventure of it all. Um, the last part about mental toughness I'd like to chat you about with uh, Jeff is focus, which you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier in our interview. Going back to the article, the authors define focus as refusing to be swayed or distracted by short-term gains that will jeopardize the achievement of a long-term goal. They add that an athlete with mental toughness is always focused on the big prize and they're content to turn down those small successes that will distract them or deter them from their ultimate goal. So what do those thoughts mean to you and perhaps your coach Jasper in structuring your training and scheduling your race season? You know, putting off those small opportunities for awesomeness or greatness in order to, you know, achieve the bigger goal? A lot of means, um, in a lot of different ways, lots of thoughts that come out about that. Uh, you know, the obvious would be, um, you know, maybe just like not resting as much, not tapering for every race, say like going back to the first half, you know, you're still maintaining a good workload. Um, or like for me, uh, like running, and, and I get into these running races like the first half and you're like, you kind of look at like the guys that, that beat you, the the pure marathoners, and um, I think that day it was Jesse Hooten and Rob Watson, um, and guys like that. I'm like, okay, I want to beat those guys, but then I kind of have to look back and say, well, maybe I don't really want to beat those guys because I got to work on my weaknesses mm-hmm. as opposed to like working on my strengths, um, you know, I'm, and focusing on the bigger goals. And the bigger goals is not to beat those guys; it's to you know win the Ironmans and do well and Kona. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so it comes to training a bit backing off, um, but it's also just in training uh, having that confidence that like not every day is going to be a great day, and that like you you when you're maintaining this good training load, like your days are all kind of kind of good, and you you have to kind of keep that even keel. Um, you know, where you're having lots of good days as opposed to these, you know, trying to have like a few amazing days followed by not good days. And that you know, you got to keep that consistency and, and um, yeah, just kind of keep that focus of of not you know setting your training up or even mentally just like you know trying to crank. And I get this sometimes where you want to prove to yourself, mm. you want to crush a workout to prove to yourself, but. You know, your coach kind of keeps you in line and keeps you a bit more on an even keel and, and whatnot. So checking um, the ego, <laughs> being in control of that. Yeah. So there was another thought that came up about that, but it, it might be gone. It <laughs> might sneak through the back door when we're not talking about it. So serious part of the interview is done. Let's uh, let's get into some fun stuff here. So first of all, you're going back to Whistler. Um, after a not-so-positive experience. But we've got uh, lots of folks in local triathlon clubs all over the province who have members doing their first Ironman distance race in Whistler this year. Whether it's about the Whistler course specifically or just Ironman training in general, what what advice would you have to the first-time Ironman uh, athletes out there, Jeff? Oh, lots of advice on that one. <laughs> uh, we can go talk about Whistler's kind of a good framework. I mean, um, I guess... Going back to what we're talking about, 
I mean, something's going to go wrong out there for you. So um, I recommend, like, talking to as many people, figuring out what went wrong for them and, and what they would have done differently. Almost everyone's going to tell you that, or almost every guy's going to tell you, some girl went by on the bike and they were like, oh, I got to stay with her. She can't be beating me. And they totally blew their race plan. They went too hard on the first bit of the bike. They couldn't get their nutrition in. So, uh, but yeah, talk to people. Uh, write out a list of problems that you might have happen and, and kind of figure out a list of solutions on top of on top of that or write out a list of solutions like ahead of time because kind of it's a lot work. easier to make decisions now and you can get help with your homework as opposed to trying to do it on race day when you're you know low on blood sugar and tired and all that and going along that same lines is have a well-written out nutrition plan like figure out exactly what you're going to take um uh, like what, so like, so for me, I'll know like, okay, I'm going to have basically two bottles of FTC per hour on a bike. Uh, but before the race, I'm going to write it like down, like to a T, this is what I want to have happen and have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like if something happens, if you drop a bottle and you know, like these A stations in Whistler, they're going to try and man them well, but when you're talking about a three lap course, like it could be chaos and, and you have to kind of know, um, you can have a backup plan. What if you can't get a bottle? Um, but really know, if you know your nutrition plan and it's written down, you're going to know, like, what A stations you have to physically stop at, you know, or, like, you have to get this bottle or you don't. Um, you know, just to know that because, yeah, things happen on race day and you want that backup plan and know exactly, um, exactly what you need. Oh, also, another good tip for first-timers is, is practice, like, have everything as dialed and is rehearsed have as many dress rehearsals as, as you can so like one thing i like to say that kind of sums this up is like i like to do some big rides like in what i'm going to race in on race day and preferably in the same conditions because you want to make sure it's more comfortable sometimes riding cycling shorts and a tri suit but like you want to know where like if, if something's going to make you chafe if something's going to uh, be uncomfortable. Like you want to have all of those things sorted out before you get to the start line. Uh, everything that you control, so um, you're kind of limiting those. So that's kind of like clothing, nutrition, pacing. Um, you should have a pretty good idea of um, of what's going to work and uh, and what isn't. Uh, the other thing is just to like, and we touched on this earlier, but just like really have a good why for why you're out there. Like really like you know, like a clear purpose. And I would write that down too. Um, you know, like what is, what is, what is motivating you to do this? Because at some point in the race, probably lots of points, you're going to ask yourself that question. And the better answer you have and the quicker you have it, just the better day it's going to be. And also uh, be really nice to your, uh, your support group. So I know for me, I turned into a bit of a jerk stress case in the week before or week before and, and even during race day you know it's good to tell them like exactly what you want them to cheer <laughs> kind of stuff or like if you want them to give you splits or something then uh you know make sure you uh you give them that info um beforehand and and, and also uh i can probably get tons of tips but i found that like just soak soak it up i mean the whole just the whole experience of it really just uh it's epic um it's amazing it's totally badass for anyone that does it i know how hard um you have to train for anyone to do it um but just yeah i i like to go to things like the uh 
uh, like the welcome ceremonies or you know the kids race it's good to go out there and, and uh i go to the kids race that's my uh that's my total secret is uh, the kids will just remind you they'll energize you they'll uh-huh. give you the uh just remind you of why you do it and the fun and all the pure energy it just gives you wings um but just everything just the more excitement and the more you can uh just remind yourself like how epic and how cool it is that just really helps on race day mental toughness um some people ask me about Ironman. They say, like, usually it comes from, like, uh, guys that are, like, you know, like, 20 to 30. Like, they do other sports, and they, they're kind of like, oh, hey, like, could I do an Ironman? Like, uh, if I had to do it tomorrow, could I do it? And I always tell them it's like, well, physically you probably could, but what would happen is you, A, you got to be able to swim. So I'm assuming they could swim. But they probably put in, they get on the bike, and it'd be such an effort on the bike that by the time you got to the run, you'd be like, nah, it's not worth it. I don't want to do this. Yeah. But, so that's the beauty of the sport is that, A, we can train so we can do the bike better, but also you train your mind. And I think when you're out there, you're putting in all those hours and you're making those sacrifices, you're just like, you're strengthening that conviction that, that you want to do this, that this is something important. And so that when you're out there on race day, you're able to be tougher. You're able to, you know, to overcome those things that that young bit untrained doesn't have and that's what makes you know in my opinion is that that training and building that toughness and conviction through training in the hard the hard yards that uh that makes iron man beautiful and makes it so that you see you know people that shouldn't be beating other people yes right so uh-huh. it makes it that mental game so. yeah and and gratifying for for you know not everybody can do it for a number of reasons and and feeling fortunate enough that you have the family support, the financial support, whatever it is to be able to actually, number one, uh, sign up for the event, uh, train for it, and all the hours of sacrifice of you, your circle of family, your employers, your friends, and then, you know, the, the race day in quotes performance. So just being able to be grateful and to show gratitude for, for being able to actually start one of these things. Yeah, I know for me, I've been, you know, the most fortunate growing up in the Ironman town that I've had, you know, plenty of great role models and uh, people over the years that have supported me in, in this crazy sport. So let's talk, uh, let's go back to Penticton or to Vancouver or to uh, the island. Um, your favorite training ride in the province right now or of all time, what would that be? Uh, I like the old Ironman course, if you just say training ride, it's yeah. going to be that. One, but the old uh, Ironman Canada or the Challenge Penticton course here in, uh, uh, in Penticton. Um, if we're going to say favorite, yeah, I could probably skip the own back. Yeah. Like, instead of like when you get to, I forget what it is, maybe Barcello, but instead of like going along the highway, you turn off and you do the, the back of the own back. Yeah, the Armstrong uh, or something, yeah. Yeah, so that's it. But yeah, but that loop is just, it's cool, right? Like it's just, you got some fast, fast sections, rolling downhills. You got the Richter, Yellow Lake climb. You got the rollers. Like it's awesome. Even with the outback, it's it's still awesome. So, um, so no PTSD from Yellow Lake. Uh, yeah. I did originally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a few times where I'm like, and yeah. definitely when I made the challenge the next year, and I got there, I was like, Painted Rock ride is, is right up there. Um, you know, you just leave from Penticton, you head out past Naramata. There's no stop signs or stop lights. It's just that's a great ride, rolling hills. Um, but running, uh, UBC, 
I ran for University of UBC, and, oh. and we have a loop that we would always do, and, and I could run in those trails, and uh, the endowment labs at Pacific Spirit Park, I could run there every day, and mm-hmm. that's kind of my go-to when I'm in Vancouver, like, you know, if you're really in, like, a hard training block, and, and motivation is getting tougher and tougher, and you, you're like, I really want to have a good run, I gotta get out there, and it's like, that's the one where I just, like, okay, this is, like, the actual cheese, I'm going out there, I know it's gonna be good. Your powerful place. Um... Kids pool, man, kids yeah. Real or perceived. Okay, so you finish a, a great bike ride. Say you've gone out and you've done the Ironman Canada course. It's a beautiful, uh, let's say, Saturday morning. You're done by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You get back to your house. What's your favorite beverage of choice? Yeah, well, first off, someone's going to tell me to keep it real. I never get done by 2, unless it's race day. It's like, you get back and it's 8 o'clock at night. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm a bit of a later kind of sleeping kind of guy, but... Um, I'll probably what I have here, just uh, make a smoothie with uh, the FGC, yeah. and uh, that's probably my favorite, or yeah, just something like that. Um, yeah, no, no, no secrets there, it's just, uh, Any, just it, a Slurpee mid-ride, if you want, that's, that would probably be the other thing, if it's like, if it's super hot out, I uh, end of a ride, I might end it at a, at a gas station and get a Slurpee, but, uh, but usually, you know, it's just, just in the smoothie with the, uh, the chocolate in and, and, you know, try and get it more like a acai bowl kind of cold mixture, uh, texture. So any secret or guilty pleasures as far as, uh, junk food, uh, Nathan's a, a peanut butter fiend as we found out, uh, do you have any other sorts of, uh, secret foods or desires that way? Pretty, pretty simple for yeah. me. Mm. Um, I'm trying. There's probably gonna be something that I think of, but uh, no, it's not coming to me. So okay. We'll put that slurpee every once in a while, but um, yeah. Cinnamon buns, man. That's probably the okay. Something. If you got a yeah, yeah. After a tough, uh, where you're pretty depleted, sugary cinnamon buns pretty darn good. Okay. Uh, final question, and then we'll let you go because you probably have some recovery to do on a couch or on a bed. If you could be animal other than a human being what animal would you be and tell us why uh i gotta go with a coyote Coyote. my uh my spirit animal so i mean a wolf would be pretty cool but uh i don't know i just kind of i relate i like coyote he's kind of uh you know he's a little bit uglier a little more (laughs) hanging wolf and uh you know but he's just kind of on his own doing his thing and yeah, I like it. I mean, that would be that would be pretty cool. Jeff the Coyote. I flying would be pretty cool too. And being a bear would be pretty sweet. But yeah, I'm gonna go with the Coyote. Okay, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with our Fitspeak listeners. Uh, best of luck. I guess you're racing this weekend. Good luck at the Duathlon, and best of luck in that uh, nice big long training block for Ironman Canada. Oh, thanks. Yes. Uh... Great. Thanks for having me. That was Fitspeak's Kevin Hines in conversation with professional triathlete Jeff Simons, talking about mental toughness and how you can apply it in your races. Fitspeak is brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. The race season is here. 
Are you ready? Let TryJoy help you to your finish line with personalized training programs, one-on-one consultations, and weekly progress updates. Check the TryJoy link on the FitSpeak homepage to get you started. For Zach Newfeld and Kevin Hines, I'm Kevin Watt. Thanks for listening.